Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we discuss, educate and talk about industry news and hot topics, company reviews and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International. With a career covering nearly two decades, Mining International partners with new and junior miners and larger predominant players in the market. With no further ado, here is your host, Rob Tyson. Hi, mining community. Welcome again to another episode of the Dig Deep, the Mining Podcast. And today we have Patrick Cheatham, who's chairman and MD of Sunrise Resources, who acquire, explore and develop mineral projects primarily in Western uh, USA, in America. Um, I'm going to let Patrick tell you a bit more about uh, Sunrise Resources. So first, I just obviously want to introduce Patrick. So how are you going, Patrick? I'm very well, thanks, Rob. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad either. So I want to start this podcast by people understanding a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background, um, understand that you studied at Imperial College. So I wondered if you can just um, share your background from when you when you studied um, and how your career developed um, until where you got to today. Okay, sure. So, um, yeah, so I'm a geologist by background. Um, I was fairly lucky in that when I went to school, they actually did geology as O-level and A-level. And we had a, a teacher who was out of the mining industry and brought things very much to life. So I spent a lot of my early years sort of um, going on mine tours, down old mines in the UK and then took it up as a degree and as you say went to Imperial College where the Royal School of Mines is located. So I did a, a mining geology degree and um, was then lucky enough to actually be recruited by an Australian company called Western Mining Corporation. Okay yeah I've heard of those guys yeah. Yeah so Western Mining was a fantastic company to start with and to learn to learn the job um, they had tremendous success in in australia um, and uh, whilst i was with them i found a couple of gold deposits that went into production um, i thought oh this is easy i'll go and do this for myself but obviously it's a, not as easy when you don't have the money behind you yeah but um yeah so i i went from there and we raced myself and another guy raised some money in london um, back in the late 80s um, to set up a, a public company in Australia, which is a company called Dragon Mining, um, and uh, went on with Dragon Mining to list it on the ASX. Um, and uh, Dragon Mining is still going today, actually, gold mining in Sweden. Okay. Um, yeah. So been involved in a couple of public companies in Australia, um, and then 20 years ago came back to the UK, set up uh, tertiary minerals, and Sunrise Resources was a spin-off from tertiary minerals. Okay. What would you say your, the main differences are working in Australia compared to the UK at the level that you're working at? So when you more, I suppose when you more recently left Australia to what you're doing now, what would you say the main differences are? Well, I suppose when you're working and living in Australia as I was, then everything's much closer by yep. um, you know when you're working in the UK you tend to be actually exploring projects overseas so there's a lot more travel involved um, you know for example in Sunrise we have a we still have a project in Australia but we're also working in the western USA as you said and it's uh, you know so they spend a lot of a lot of time away from home okay okay and so how long you've been back in the UK 
So for about 20 years in total, um, things have gone very quickly. (laughs) But uh, yeah, we've... um, you know, we've been involved in basically um, in AIM companies since then, so Tertiary and Sunrise. And, um, you know, again, I was fortunate that the last company I was involved in Australia was uh, taken over in a hostile takeover bid um, on the back of a, a zinc silver discovery that was made. Um, and um, all the seed capitalists from that company followed me into Tertiary and Sunrise. Okay. So... If you can tell the audience a little bit about Sunrise Resources and the background of obviously of the company, obviously since you joined as well, um, just so the audience, if they don't know, um, you can obviously give us give the audience more more information about uh, what you guys are doing. Sure. So Sunrise Resources actually started off life as, a, as under the name Sunrise Diamonds, and as I say, it was a spin-off from Tertiary. Um, and was spun off to develop some diamond exploration assets that have been developed by tertiary minerals. Um, and we worked on diamond exploration for a number of years in Finland and Australia. Um, but the diamond market is really quite difficult and it became very difficult to raise money for diamond exploration. So we decided to sort of broaden our focus and basically took a portfolio approach um, to exploration, particularly focusing on the Western US and Nevada in particular. Um, Nevada is a a very favorable place to work from a um, a mining industry perspective. So that really, that portfolio-based approach led us into a discovery on what we now call our CS project. And, you know, for the past couple of years, that's been our sole focus. Um, I've got some obviously questions to ask you. Um, so a couple of years ago, Sunrise uh, Resources made a decision to focus its work on valuating and developing uh, the CS natural uh, pozzolane and porcelite deposit in Nevada. There may be two of the most interesting industrial minerals that people have never heard of. So can you tell us a little bit about them and what, what their actual uses are for? Sure. So, yeah, as you say, they're not industrial minerals that come off everyone's lips. So, no. you know, pozzolan, a pozzolan is... A deposit is something made out of silica or aluminium, which when you react it with lime or water, acts like cement. Okay. So it's a cementitious material. Um, and pozzolans can be either natural, as, as the material that we're looking at, and when they are natural, they're usually most commonly volcanic, glassy volcanic rocks. Or they can be industrial. And the most common industrial pozzolan that people may have heard of is fly ash. And this is the ash that's produced from coal-fired power stations. Yeah. So that has pozzolanic properties and has for years been used as, as pozzolan. Um, so that's that's what it's used for. Perlite, on the other hand, although very similar in composition, it's a glassy volcanic rock, it has the additional property that when you heat it at high temperature, it pops like popcorn and makes a very lightweight material. So if you... If you've ever seen compost mixes with those white material, little white bits in it, that's perlite. Yeah. And what it does, it, it, it's used in horticulture to aerate and retain moisture in the soil. Okay. But, so that's that's one use. But the whole range of other uses, it's used in insulation, it's used in in uh, in wallboard, uh, it's used as a um, it's used to line those big domes that you see in liquefied natural gas uh, ship transporters. Um, yeah, it has a whole range of industrial uses. Yeah. So who who are the end users or the users that you sell that to or would will sell that to? 
Yeah, so the, the, the consumers of natural pozzolan are, you know, the end user is the ready-mix company who, um, you know, batches uh, various materials into concrete. Yeah. So he would have a, a silo for um, aggregate, a silo for sand, a silo for cement, and a silo for fly ash, which is probably now sitting half empty because of the supply situation, which we can come and talk about. Yeah. So that's your natural end user, but also cement manufacturers do actually manufacture cements by intergrinding puzzling with their cement. Yeah. So are, are your clients just within America or are you transporting it? Yeah, it's, it tends to be a local market. Um, you know, Pozzolan is has a, a value similar to cement. Um, you know, typically in the Western USA, sort of ninety to a hundred dollars a ton, um, a little bit more in some places. Um, so it doesn't stand huge transport distances. So it might go interstate from one state to another, um, yeah. but not typically, you know, across the USA, for example, or yeah. or, ex or export. Yeah. So looking at natural uh, pozzolane, um, I, I, so I believe that the interest in natural pozzolanes is being driven by a number of macro level and social economical factors. Can you just explain a little bit more detail around that for our, for our listeners? Yeah, I will. It's, and it's probably just interesting to, to just go back in time a little bit and, and look at the history of um, concrete and cement. Um, because the first use, and people don't really, people think of concrete as a modern invention, a modern material, but actually it was first used by the Romans and the Greeks okay. over 2,000 years ago. And, and they used natural pozzolan in their cement mixes because it added strength and durability. And it was quite well documented in, in various Roman books. And you see, um, you see examples of Roman concrete surviving almost in their original form today. So a couple of examples would be like the Pantheon Dome in Rome, which is quite a famous structure, or the Pont du Card in the south of France. They were made using natural pozzolan and Roman concrete. In fact, the, you know, the Pantheon Dome in Rome is still the world's largest single span of unreinforced concrete. Okay, That's didn't 2, know that. That's 2,000 years old, yeah. And so, it, you know, what happened was really basically the Ro Roman building technology tended to get lost in the Middle Ages and you then moved on to these sort of very soft line mortars and you didn't really have very strong cements and mortars. It kind of reappeared again in in the mid 18th century when um, uh, natural pozzolan was used in making the the third Eddystone lighthouse in Cornwall. Interestingly, um, but you really have to go to the 20th century and really right up to the 1960s and 70s before pozzolan started being used in in significant volumes again, and that's when fly ash started to be used, a coal-fired power fly ash. Yep. You know, this this is a material that's left when you burn the coal, of course, uh, in power stations. And normally, or so historically, it used to go up the stack and into the air. Um, and then when the industry became more regulated, that ash had to be collected, and then it became a disposal problem. And then it became known that it could be used in concrete. So actually, fly ash has grown to be a, a substantial use in concrete over the past 40 years. Of course, what's happening now is there are major macro-level uh, socioeconomic factors that are influencing the demand for natural pozzolan. Because what's happened, we're seeing a number of factors applying to fly ash. We're seeing a huge reduction 
in the production of fly ash globally because coal-fired power stations are being phased out. You know, the UK has announced plans to um, to get rid of all its coal-fired power stations by 2025, Germany 2038. Uh, in fact, only China is building new power stations. So what's happening is that fly ash is on the decline. In the US in particular, say, you know, since 2012, over half the coal-fired power stations have closed. And it's, it's partly due to economic factors. You know, natural gas and renewables are now cheaper than, than coal for burning to make power. Um, and there's a push for reduced CO2 emissions everywhere. So the production of cement is the largest single emitter of man-made CO2. So something like 2 billion tonnes of CO2 are produced by the cement industry, 5 to 8% of global emissions. So there's a big push to reduce the amount of cement that's used. And by substituting natural poslin for cement, then you achieve that to some extent. So these, these factors all come together to create a bit of a perfect storm where we're seeing a, a significant reduction in, in availability of fly ash and people turning to natural poslins um, once again. Yeah, I mean that, that's pretty. That's pretty interesting. Um, and again, that's uh, that's pre- that's news to me, and it's probably news to quite a few of the listeners. Um, and and moving on f- to obviously perlite, um, which is obviously a more established mineral, uh, industrial mineral. But I'm, I suppose one we're also enjoying the renewed market growth in that area. Um, what would you say is driving? driving this and what is your particular opportunity in this commodity okay so perlite as you say is a, a more established market so you know those horticultural markets um, for general horticulture are very well established um, as are the industrial uses but what's really driving growth and particularly in the US is the growth of the cannabis industry yeah um, you know perlite is widely used in the in the growing mixes for cannabis particularly the uh, early stage plants that might be grown hydroponically in a in a pure perlite base. Um, so yeah, that's I mean the, the you know the, the global um, the global cannabis market is growing at uh, quite a substantial rate, um, and that is really driving demand for perlite. Yeah. So is perlite obviously used for other for other types of growing? vegetables for instance yeah, it's, it, yeah. Used, it's used very extensively and it finds its way into most general most general sort of compost mixes mixed with yeah. peat for example um yeah it's very widely used yeah um so with your projects um can you give us an update on what's happening with those projects yeah so as i said a couple of years ago we decided to focus solely on what's called, what we call the cs Puzzle and Perlite project, yeah. and um, you know, in those in the past two years, we've done extensive drilling programs. Um, we've done we've done mine design. So based on our drill program, we've we've designed a 27 year mine life for the project, um, using both perlite and puzzlin uh, by open cut. All our materials are at the surface, so they're very easily accessible and easily mined with at low cost. Um, we've been doing extensive testing on the materials because at the end of the day, um, it's not like gold or anything else where you produce a certain specification of metal to a, an LME standard. You're producing a performance industrial product and 
therefore it has to perform so what you're actually testing is the performance of the material so you're testing in the case of pozzolans what you do you mix the natural pozzolan with cement in a mortar block or in a concrete block and you test its strength so you know we put if we replace 25 to 40 percent of the portland cement in the mix what's its strength does it have the same strength so that's important to prove and there are standards american standards by which that is measured so in addition to doing a lot of lab test work to demonstrate this, we've also done some commercial scale testing. So we've sent material off to uh, cement companies for them to mix on a commercial, to, for them to produce um, commercial scale material. We've done expansion testing with potential customers in, on a commercial scale for the perlite. Um, and uh, that work's been very positive. We have MOUs in place with a couple of perlite expanders um, sufficient to, to generate um, our initial production um, and um, yeah we're continuing our testing with uh, various cement companies so we've been pretty busy um, but more particularly we've been very very busy on the permitting side as well yeah so kind of two years ago we made the decision that um, quite a bold decision at the time which was to actually start our permitting before we'd even put in the first drill hole um, and and that was based on the fact that the surface occurrence was so large. Um, but that's paid off for us now because we, we, we've been through most of the permitting process and we're now in the end game for permitting. And at the moment, we believe we're on track to permit by the end of the year. Okay, okay, that's that's good. I mean, I've, I've done some obviously research before, um, before uh, obviously this uh, episode. In previous announcements, uh, announcements, you set you set out a strategy whereby you were looking to bring these deposits into production at the lowest uh, possible capital costs. Um, how do you how do you hope to achieve that? Okay, so in the uh, for the production of uh, perlite, um, what we're hoping to do is just produce a horticultural grade perlite initially, which is a coarse material. So it's a, simply a, 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 a the process is to mine to crush and screen the product to the right size. We then sell that material to an established um, expander of perlite, um, and that material has a value of, say, $90 a tonne at the mine gate, so quite a high value. Um, but the equipment that we use to produce that can be either provided on rental, or it can be leased, or it can be put in by a contract miner, and we pay a contract processing price. So, you know, the capital costs would be minimal. Um, you know, there'd be a certain amount required for um, for working capital and um, to do some small capital works around the mine site. Um, but you know, we believe that we can put it in to production for somewhere in the order of, on that process on sort of two to three million dollars or around that sort of level. And do other countries, or what other countries, shall I say, manufacture uh, pozzolin and perlite? Is there any so, big players in the industry? Um, so for natural pozzolin, you know, the growth has been, um, is occurring quite quickly. And so there are a number of established producers of natural pozzolin and perlite, but they're all located in the western US where we are. And that's simply because of the type of rocks that occur in that part of the US that right. don't occur anywhere else in the US. Yeah. Um, if you look in, I mean, other places that produce a lot of perlite and natural pozzolan, places like Greece. So the temporary places where you have very young volcanic rocks, because they have to be 
amorphous, not non-crystalline rocks. And over time, these glassy rocks deteriorate and don't retain their properties. So young areas with young volcanic rocks, so parts of Europe, Western US, some places in the Middle East. Um, but the um, perlite production in the Western US where we are is, is in the hands of a few companies that are also downstream integrated. There's one large producer of perlite who has supplied many of the independent expanders historically, but they are now going downstream as well with their own expansion plans. So some of these independent producers are looking for new sources of perlite, and that's really what, what our opportunity is. Yeah, and obviously, I suppose concrete, or even obviously this is a concrete substitute as such, obviously concrete's mainly used to build for the construction industry and if industries are or countries are going through um not necessarily boom times but growth and a lot of buildings are being built and obviously a lot of concrete is also used where do where do they generally would get say uh, I, I suppose i'm speaking about the uk here where would they um or some of the, the uh, cement manufacturers where would they actually get their pozzoline and perlite from? So in the UK, most of the pozzoline comes from, um, from, from as fly ash. Okay. So there's, there's no natural pozzoline produced in the UK, you know, as in terms of the sort of pozzoline that we're producing. Got you. So they've had to rely on fly ash. It's, uh, it remains to be seen what happens in the UK because, you know, that material is not available. Yeah. Um, you know, in some cases, um, before fly ash became really widely used, it used to be landfilled at the site of the coal-fired power stations. And there are certain landfill, landfills in the UK where companies are looking to dig up the old fly ash that was produced yeah. um, and reuse it. I suppose if they can't find it naturally, they then try and make it artificially as such. But whether that, That's right. be, as, whether I mean, that be as, as good... That's that's well. They have. There are some. Um, there are some other industrial byproducts that act like pozzolan. One of those is ground blast furnace slag, and that is used to some extent in the UK, um, but it doesn't. It doesn't get used much in the in the US. Okay. Okay. Just want to slowly wrap this up now. Wondered if you can give us, a, I suppose, an overview of Sunrise Resources, what they're looking to do moving forward um over the obviously i was gonna say the rest of this year but we're nearly uh nearly at the end of this year um but looking over the, i suppose the next uh, into next year and the next five and ten years as such yeah so the key thing for the next few months really is permitting mine permitting um i'll say we're quite advanced on that process and still targeting the end of this year for for to be fully permitted that will allow us to to move into production in uh, in the first half of next year um, and in the meantime, we're working hard on additional test work, customer engagement, uh, offtake agreements, um, and making other preparations for mining, like sorting out our water sources, um, various agreements with utility providers. And at the same time, we're also, you know, we have quite a, a legacy um, portfolio of golden based metal projects, and we're looking to valorize those over time um, to bring additional funds into the company to give us additional interests. Um, you know, we achieved that uh, just over a year ago with one of our copper projects where we sold that to a, a Canadian TSX listed company in exchange for shares and a royalty interest. 
Um, it gives us an ongoing interest in additional mining projects without us having to spend money. Um, and we want to continue that model on our various other projects. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask, what, what again, what is the main differences of mining in America to maybe like Australia or the UK? Is there, is there a lot of difference, would you say? Um, I think if you look at Nevada, particularly yeah. where we're based, and some of the other Western states like, uh, you, you know, adjoining states like Utah and Arizona, things are quite similar. Yeah. Um, often the similar styles of mineralization, similar sort of semi-arid terrains to Australia, um, and similar permitting timelines. But if you just move, say, from Nevada to California, it's a totally different story. You know, it's a very difficult place to permit a mining operation. Um, just because it's a, a more populous state um, and a very um, a, a generally difficult place to permit. Um, but in the areas that we're working, I'd say things are, are pretty similar. Yeah, okay. All right, Patrick, really appreciate your time. Um, give us an overview of uh, Sunrise, uh, Sunrise Resources and obviously um, talking about um, natural pozzolane and pertolite. Um, I haven't looked at that type of uh, mineral before so it's good hearing uh, good hearing a little bit about that um if our audience wants to uh, sort of contact you and possibly uh, ask you any questions around around um, what you're doing how can they uh, go about doing that so um yeah they can do that they can just give me a call at the company our, our details are on the website uh, including an email address um you know very happy to answer questions um, and are you on any social media platforms? So we do have a Twitter account. Uh, I wouldn't say that we are um, the greatest user of social media. We're, we're trying to improve that. Um, but we do have a Twitter account. We make sure all our releases get put there. Um, anything that comes up that's relevant to our industry, we tend to put up on our Twitter account. Um, you know, a lot of reports on, um, on you know, the, the dynamics of... Um, of the cement industry and the flyish industry and the growth of natural puzzles. Um So, yeah. Okay. Um, alternatively, if you want to contact myself um, and I can pass uh, any messages on to Patrick, uh, my email address is rob at mining-international.org. Thank you again for listening. Hope you're enjoying these podcasts. Um, really appreciate any feedback that you do give me. Um, again, you can either email me or... Message me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm actually, um, by the time this goes out live, I have got a website uh, dedicated to this podcast where I would, where I will receive um, uh, messages from listeners, whether you want to message me about who you want to um, me for, for me to interview, what kind of topics that you want to hear. Um, so that should be up and running by the time this is released. So, um, yeah, please, please contact me with your feedback. Um, I know you guys, uh, or since the feedback that I have been getting, um, a lot of listeners out there have been enjoying these podcasts and um, hearing those messages and seeing those messages just obviously encourages me to, to keep going um, and obviously producing this content for, for the mining community. So until next time, happy mining. Thanks for listening to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. If there are any topics you want discussed or questions you want to ask any guests, then you can email us at rob at mining-international.org or you can follow Rob and Mining International on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube for more content and to have your questions answered. Until next time, 
Happy mining. <laughs>